I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Can I just ask? Shut up, Evan. I'm curious. Could you shut up, Evan? One thing I was thinking about. Shut up, Evan. So there are some rumors out there. Evan, shut up! Is it okay if I just ask? Shut up, Evan. Okay, but can I just... I didn't even say anything. Hi, good people. It's Evan Ross Katz, and you are listening to Shut Up Evan, a podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I just found out that Sean Mendez canceled his upcoming tour, um, citing mental health reasons. I was not going to attend, but uh, I feel bereft. I I am glad that Sean Mendez exists in this world and um now any thought that I had of maybe attending is quashed. Uh, but uh, I can say that since we last touched down on Sean Mendes, I have not listened to any of his music um, still yet. Um, but he remains a really important fixture in my media consumption, in my media diet. And so I'm hopeful that maybe the time off that he will be taking from touring uh, can be spent, well, of course, focusing on himself and, and uh getting back to a place where he feels like he can get out on the road. But I also hope that that means more content from him because I really, I am more, um, I, I know Shawn Mendes more as like the fixture on the internet than I do the person who creates music. So I'm not too bummed about the tour being canceled, but I hope that we will still get a semi-regular influx of content. And I, I do enjoy looking at him on Instagram, um, from time to time. I would say him and Manu Rios to me are tied for the, oh, 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 well, obviously, and Lee Pace. I feel like there's a lot of um, addendums when I say my favorite person to follow on Instagram, but he's definitely up there. Um, before we get to our interview today, I did want to talk briefly because I rewatched a scene from Sex in the City recently that resonated with me so much. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. It's the season three episode, that four-part episode in which Carrie begins and ends her affair with Big. And uh, towards the tail end of it, when she tells Aiden um, about the affair and Aiden breaks up with her, she then has to go to Charlotte's wedding and put on a happy face. And I've been thinking about that resilience in Carrie, which we see um, several times in the series. And obviously we saw it in, in and just like that and, in, in, you know, grappling with the death of her husband. Um, but that moment is so resonant for me at the moment because I'm going through some family stuff. We had some health issues uh, with my father and we kind of, we thought we were 
over the hill. Wait, is over the hill? Over the hill is a bad thing, right? You're over the hill. We thought we were in a better place. I don't know the right analogy at the moment, to be honest. We thought we were in a better place. And I think we had it really good for a long time without realizing that there are going to be ups and downs. And we are currently on a down. And it's interesting because you on social media, and, I, and I'm saying the thing that I know we all know, we all put out the best versions of ourselves on social media. Absolutely. I just had this wonderful weekend spent with my family, my, my brothers and our significant others uh, together. It's the first time we'd seen each other in about a year and, and, and created all of these new memories. And it was so amazing. But beneath all of that, throughout that wonderful weekend, the weekend of which I was, you know, putting that version of my reality on Instagram, there's also this other reality at the moment, which is contending with, um, you know, distress in my family and uncertainty and, and, and just, it's quite frightening um, when you really think about it. And it's hard to express, rather, I find it hard to express those aspects of myself because I think we all are going through different things at various times in our life and we don't always want to put it forward. But I have been just thinking about that moment with Carrie and everything that was underneath of her in that moment and how she sort of had to just not only put it aside, because I think that's its own, um, you know, strength, there's strength in that, but then also like, you know, the inverse entirely, which is like not only to hide the emotion that you're feeling, but to put on a happy face. That really wasn't quite aligned with me. I had a genuine happy face throughout, throughout the weekend while also thinking about the fact that, you know, I want all of my family to be together and I want all of us to be in good health and all of us to be creating memories. And so it's just a complex thing, right? To be like, with family and so happy to be amongst family and also uh, to be grappling with the fact that you can't be with your entire family and you don't know when the next time you'll be able to be with your entire family is. And, and yeah, it's a lot, it's heavy. It's heavy on my heart, especially as I try and continue to go about my life because you have to, while also reconciling with the fact that I have a, a immediate family member who cannot at the moment. And I don't know. I, I I imagine some people can relate to this on some level, but it's definitely uh, been an interesting uh, experience to navigate, which is like finding joy in a joyless time. Um, and I know we can talk about like the world writ large, like that's sort of like the mantra of the last uh, six years. Um, and in particular, the last two years in everything that's been going on in the world, I get that, but I'm more talking about on a micro level, which is that like, yes, we can feel the weight of the world, but we also have the machinations of our everyday life, um, which presents its own challenges, you know, so that has definitely been on my mind. But before we get to the interview, something else that's been on my mind is the Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip season two, which... Season one sort of brought together a lot of the OGs and sort of gave us a, a, a beautiful vacation and it was tropical and it was lovely. And there was, you know, they were, we were seeing them on vacation. Whereas this iteration, it's called Ex-Wives Club, is bringing back eight former wives and and rather than put them on a beach they are at Dorinda's uh, Bluestone Manor, which is her house in the Berkshires for people that are unfamiliar. And what I've really loved about this season, in addition to just the chaotic personalities on it, is this element of like sort of, you know, to borrow a term from Drag Race, the lip sync for your life. Because being that all eight of these women are no longer on the show, you definitely uh, get both a vibe, but also the articulation of the fact that many of them are hoping 
to return. There's a lot of ways in which if you're a business person and you're on reality television, your business obviously benefits from the exposure of, of you and your business. When you're no longer on that show, I imagine the business takes a hit, right? Like you're no longer in the mouths of people. People aren't talking about you as much. And so I imagine there's an element in being on this show and sort of, you know, reintegrating to life on reality television that makes you hungry for it. And, and maybe it's not even necessarily for the business. Maybe people just like the fame, but I just think it's such a unique phenomenon to have had, you know, a little bit of fame for a period and then to have it either stripped from you or to walk away from it. I think with, in, with this specific cast, I think it was taken away from more of them um, than it was a choice. But I just love watching them approach this show, which already has my interest in the fact that I love an all-stars version of anything, but in watching them sort of maneuver the fact that they're on a reality show, but they are all reality television professionals, understanding that in order to make a good show, there needs to be conflict. And even if not conflict, every sort of everything needs to be heightened, right? Like the more subdued they are, the less time they are going to be on the show, you know, in the final edit. And they know that. And I just think that consciousness has created a very, very interesting show. They just released the rumored cast for season three, um, which I'm not incredibly excited about. I feel like the alchemy of having ex-wives on and that lip sync for your life element really is the special sauce. And I think it's fun for viewers too, because we get to sort of catch up with these wives we haven't seen in a long time. And what I've really liked about this season is that like you have storylines that are in some instances almost a decade old being brought up. The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is currently in its 12th season, but on Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, we are discussing an incident from season three of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills as though it happened yesterday. We are basically taking these storylines that were on ice essentially and melting them down and saying, let's get back into the thick of it. And I get on the one hand how some of the wives are like, why are we talking about this 10 years later? And it's like, because we're on a reality show in which we've you know, created a container that allows for these conversations to be opened up once more. So while I understand that like you can, you can, you know, look at it through the lens of, wow, these people are really harping on the past. Sure. Also, they're in a, in a situation in which they're finally in the room with someone the last time they were in the room with, there was this intense drama. And so, and also cameras are up. So why not revisit it? So I just really like that. Like, I think it's fun. It's a reminder of how many unresolved storylines there are on the, on these shows, because people either leave the show or the show moves on. I mean, the show can very easily, it's like, you know, you have a shiny object and then, you know, a shinier object and the show kind of moves towards the shinier object. Um, and so I, I like the idea that we can revisit storylines. We can check in with these women. We can see how in some instances they've grown and changed quite a bit, which is the case I feel with Jill Zarin. And then other times you kind of see that the women are exactly how they've always been for better or for worse, often for worse, such as the case with like a Vicky Gunvalson. But I just really like the container of like eight days in a house together. Let's see what happens. Each day there's a different itinerary. I just think this was a very well-designed show and I'm really hopeful for more. I definitely want to encourage people to check out The Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip 2 um, because I feel like it is appointment television. I really do. So Sean Mendez, 
sick family members, the Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip season two. Uh, we managed to cover a lot in just a little bit of time. Isn't that the beauty of talk? Um, without any further ado, I wanted to turn over to an interview I'm really proud of and also really excited by because this was the first interview since season three, episode one with Jennifer Coolidge that we were able to do in person. And I just feel that interviews in person function differently. There's something about sitting across the room from a person and looking them in the eyes and watching their brain move that allows for more stimulating conversation. I feel like we were able to have two hours worth of conversation in one hour. And it's not that it's impossible over Zoom. I've had great Zoom conversations, but you know, I just think after doing it so often to have that in-person experience is really fun. And I feel like I have to be a little bit more present because I can stare at a computer screen and have the person think I'm looking at them when I'm in fact looking at my notes. Whereas in person, if I look at my notes, I'm looking down, I'm breaking eye contact, which is something I don't want to do. I want to stay focused, laser focused, in fact. So I really like the fact that doing these in-person interviews really tests my skill set as an interview. And I like that. It's, it's very stimulating for me. So I was really fortunate to have caught Selma in person uh, while she was here, which I realized I just gave away the interview, but I think you probably had it given away when you clicked on the episode. Anywho, without any further ado, here is the interview with the great Selma Blair. Shut up, Evan. She is an actress and author whose film credits include In and Out, Cruel Intentions, Legally Blonde, The Sweetest Thing, Hellboy and Hellboy 2, and the 2021 documentary Introducing Selma Blair, a feature-length film that's centered on her adapting to new ways of living after revealing her multiple sclerosis diagnosis. Her television credits include starring roles on Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane, Kath and Kim, Anger Management, and her turn as Kris Jenner in the People vs. O.J. Simpson American Crime Story. She was nominated for a Grammy Award in 2011 for Best Spoken Word Album for Children for Anne Frank, The Diary of a Young Girl. Her memoir, Mean Baby, was released in May and became an immediate New York Times bestseller, which for anyone that has read it should come as no surprise. I could describe her with so many adjectives, but I'll summarize it down to just one. She is the best, definitively. She is the great and powerful Selma Blair. Shut up, Evan. Okay, so we are here with Selma Blair. Blair, really, that I learned in your book. Your, your name is Blair. You go by many names, really, I learned in this book. <laughs> And I feel like this is a long time coming. I'm really excited. We are in person, not over Zoom. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And for people that don't know, you are wearing head to toe Tom Brown. I am. I feel like a very important person well, you wearing are. Tom Brown. Tom Brown does it for me. Like I was kind of falling apart at home for a minute, as you do. And then I put my clothes on and I felt so much better. I mean, it sounds like I was crying because I looked in the mirror because I was naked. That's what that sounded like. But no, the Tom Brown, like these, this red, white and blue stripe makes me feel so like substantially cool. Says the woman who got married in custom Carl Lagerfeld. I know I'm not hurting for cool moments. I wish I could broadcast them more to people because I really missed my time that my like youth days when some amazing people like included me in their lives there wasn't instagram or any of that because i would have tried to like market the sh shit out of myself 
Like, and Carl's dead, so fat chance I get a second wedding dress out of him. It's true, but you got two wedding dresses because, as I learned in your book, he made you a second uh, a replica version of the dress in black for the sole reason that he didn't want you to get red wine yes. on the dress. I was concerned because when he made it this pale, like, pink champagne and there's these, like, rhinestones on the back, this choker, this color, so gorgeous and light and silk and I just thought oh I won't even be able to toast you know and I told him I said I really like a goblet of red wine and he said oh no problem you know so he made the exact same thing in black and then I said but also I'd love like a big confection of a dress I never get to do that and he was like "Mm, no that's on your second that's the next marriage but now where is he I should have really (laughs) grabbed the big ring and no you know and forced him to make the big one I um you don't force Carl to do anything it was the biggest honor of my life and I'm always looking for a time to wear those dresses Hey, maybe that day will come again. Who knows? Um, We will get into Carl a bit later. I want to start by congratulating you on this book. Um, One, for the incredible feat of writing a book, but this is a fantastic book. I pulled my boyfriend aside this morning as I was prepping for today, and I asked him if I could just read him a passage. I read him the final bit in which you write a letter to your son, Arthur, and I read it to him, and I just started bawling by the end of it. And I, I didn't even know what I didn't even know where it came from because I wasn't perf- you know I wasn't performing from it I was right. just reading him a passage <laughs> but and that moment happened for me several times throughout this book it's a wonderful book you are a wonderful storyteller thank you so much of course Arthur is my north star and you know he's he's the biggest love and 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 wish that I have for good things and I wrote this letter to him. Um, you know, he fell asleep and I was writing it in my, you know, living room um, before the book was finished. You know, I'd kind of just written that and, oh my God, I saw, I mean, the th- everything I care about makes me cry. I just have to get that out in the open now. And also I do have speech differences for anyone tuning in. Um, I'm really comfortable and I'm sitting down, but sometimes um, when I'm processing or I don't know what triggers, I do have some like speech t- ticks and um, dystonias and and things like that. So nothing to worry about. Um, Just have patience if it happens. So um, there was that. But we have plenty of patience for you. Thank you. So in this book, among the many things that I love about it is that you name names. You name names throughout (laughs) this book. Uh, We mentioned Carl Lagerfeld. You've got Britney Spears, Scarlett Johansson, Sienna Miller, Seth MacFarlane, Kate Moss, Jason Schwartzman, Reese Witherspoon, and of course, the great Sarah Michelle Gellar, among many others. What gave you the sense of freedom? Because I know that's something not every person of your magnitude of celebrity is able to do. Right. You know, there's a few people that I loathe, a couple, and I would never write about them. Um, So the people that I mentioned were people that I truly admire or had a soft spot or gratitude for. And just so I didn't intentionally um, try and like name some names. I was mostly calling out my own kind of bonkers behavior sometimes in those moments and kind of as a mea culpa apology, like, hi, if you ever run into me again, like, please be aware I do take accountability for the odd things I have done or do. Um, this was a love letter to all the people that supported me that I didn't realize and all mm. the great things I've been a witness to in my incredible career, witnessing 
really the greats. Mm-hmm. You know, I even worked with Judy Davis. The project wasn't so great, but Richard Davis, Judy Davis. I mean, people that I saw her in my brilliant career with Jane Campion when I was a little girl. And it just forever made me love storytelling. Um, and then I got to work with her. And no one knows or no one knows that I am now the owner of Britney Spears you know, an artifact that maybe she would not ever like to revisit. So there's some things that are like, ooh, I'm sorry that I bring this up when when it's happening now. But it was all with incredible love and a perspective. And I have been involved. Like, I've been behind the scenes, like, really involved in some of the people, you know, people love. And my ability to be invisible has been, like, a really interesting thing in my career. Don't think that we will not circle back to the Britney Spears wig of it all later on. Um, but I'm wondering, have you heard from anyone that you speak about in this book? For instance, I couldn't help but wonder if Scarlett Johansson would reach no. out to you, for instance, and say, <laughs> well, you know now, what, let's reconcile. Well, now you know who's not reading my book. I mean, Scarlett and I never had a fight, and we actually have spoken you know, after our trip to Las Vegas, where I infamously now um, gave Seth MacFarlane a big love nibble, apparently. Um, in a really big moment of awkwardness at a club. But um, no, there's no like bad blood, but I think she was like, ooh, that woman might be a liability. <laughs> you know, let's not. So like, I get it. And as you mentioned, you have been in many rooms with many fabulous people experiencing fabulous things. And it's fun to hear about them in great detail. You know, we have this joke of uh, six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, but it really can be played I mean, name someone. I bet I, I fucked, buried, or killed them. I mean, (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) But it is. I mean, I do have secrets to tell, but I don't know if I'm willing to ever um, deal with repercussions of that because it's hard. I mean, our world is just really, really bonkers with being able to like you know, have so much information that it's hard to put yourself out there on things that will include other people. But I, I swear, name someone and I'll see if I have like one degree of separation. It's funny because as soon as you say that, the first person that comes to mind is, of course, Sarah Michelle Geller, And I'm like, well, you're yeah, I mean, you're right there. come on, Sarah. And now and Sarah is is with everyone. I mean, she's she's beloved and worked with everyone almost like or they've known her or a professional way. So Yeah, I kind of have it covered by being in that 90s teen thing. You do. And speaking of her briefly, and again, we'll come back to her too, but one of the things that I learned from this book that I did not know is it's you on the phone with her in Scream 2. Yes! Yes. So she plays the great Cece Cooper, Omega Beta Zeta. She's on the call with a fellow sorority sister, you. I was not an actress yet. I was not a working actress yet. I had just moved to L.A., um, I had a children's agency, Goldmarshak Likey, and, you know, I had no traction, no experience, small jobs. And so I would go out for Walla Walla groups, like where you get money to do, you know, some voiceover stuff in the background of a scene or if Andy McDowell's voice, like, cut out with one word. I, you know, in the movie Michael, I remember, you know, I I kind of say one word or a syllable of hers to me. I mean, it's, it's, it was really a great um, way to, like, make some money. It was incredible. But I actually had to go, you know, I, I got to meet Wes Craven and really auditioned for him for this line. It was just a voice thing. And I remember being in the, you know, recording with him. He was actually there. Like people were really invested in it shows like the attention to detail. But I was so excited. I was like, I am going to be on the phone with Sarah Michelle Gellar. I mean, I loved her since all my children. I 
think I would like almost tell stories like, oh my God, I hope that I could ever like audition and then work with Sarah Michelle Gellar and all my children. I have a shot maybe. I never had a shot. But you know, there was, it was just surreal to me that I was even on the phone with her. I thought my career can't get better. So when you raise, you know, when you set such a like kind of low bar for your own career, like the highest would be to have one line (laughs) with Sarah Michelle Gellar. I mean, I'm pretty much an optimist with everything that's happened now. (laughs) Let me ask you, related to Scream right now, just a current headline is the fact that Nev Campbell announced that she would not return for Scream 6 due to a salary dispute. And as an actress in Hollywood, I wanted to know if you had any thoughts on that, because from from where I sit, you know, outside of Hollywood, it's really remarkable and exciting to see someone not only making this decision, but doing so publicly. So letting people know that I'm not coming back, not because I don't want to, but because uh, the standard with which I hold myself, it is not being met by those around me. I love that. And I think it is deserved. I mean, she really was a huge part of the resurrection of it coming back and the appeal of having Sydney there and Nev, who we all love. She's an incredible actress with a great career and on a show that's definitely really tracks. She's having huge success. And the thought that even Nev Campbell, who is so honestly such a nostalgic and real powerful appeal of these movies, is not being valued as she should, when I absolutely do think... Mm, a man probably wouldn't be in that position as as much. And we find it so surprising. Um, it, it's hard to do. It's hard to stand up without people misunderstanding it and, and not value, not knowing really what your worth is and having to be the one to do it. I hope that there are allies and I hope that they don't continue lowballing the people who don't deserve it, especially especially a lot of women who have really made their mark and deserve to be seen. So I mm. love her. Well, I love her also because, like, people think I'm her a lot. I think because we're brunette and maybe, like, you know, a broad jaw or things. I find her gorgeous, gorgeous. so I'm fine with that. But people do a lot say they love me and scream, and I'm like, yeah, thanks. Maybe they are referencing Scream too. No, 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 no. <laughs> They're like, I have loved your career. I loved you in Party of Five. I mm. loved you. In... And I totally go with it. Yeah. Sorry, Nev. I'm so sorry I'm impersonating you, but it's just like, I don't get into the weeds of it, but I definitely am like, ah, maybe they're thinking of Scream too, so I kind of let it go, but I do think I'm I'm impersonating Nev Campbell by accident. My hope is that now that she's come forward, these producers and the distributor can say, oh, we actually realize the reaction from the fandom is such that they do not want a Scream movie without Nev Campbell. So I know, it takes away so much of the legitimacy of it to me. Before we get deeper into it, let's take a quick break and check in with today's sponsor. If you were to look in my fridge right now, beneath the shelf of Topo Chico, you would find cases of Can. These are my currently in rotation batch, as I keep party packs stowed away as well. So what is Can? Can is a social tonic microdosed with cannabis that gives you a light and uplifted buzz, but with no hangover, fewer empty calories, all natural ingredients, and no regrets. Best of all, it tastes fucking good. So sure, I drink it for the THC CBD effects, but I also just enjoy it as a refreshment du jour. Blood orange cardamom is my favorite, but the grapefruit rosemary also slaps. For more information, including where to find it at your local dispensary and delivery options, follow at drinkcan with two N's or head to drinkcan.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-C-A-N-N.com. And we're back. So let's talk about this book some more. Your book paints a grand picture of your mother, someone I quickly got the impression would not be a fan of participation trophies. That was my sense. Oh, exactly. I think she thought those were so offensive. You write, quote, if someone said I was beautiful, my mother would squint as if seeing me for the first time. 
You really think so? Her lips stick out kind of far. But when I fixed myself up, the accolades were so gratifying. You also write about how your mother never shared anything personal about herself. And here you are writing a book so deeply personal. And I'm wondering, what do you think your mom would make of this book? She really thought I would be a writer when she wasn't busy wishing I were a supermodel and would have an easy life. I think she wanted things to be easy. And I think you know, easier for me, but that I would really have to try hard. She knew how hard things were. She became a magistrate because she had had really unfair things happen to her in her life, real traumas. And she just wanted to be free of judgment. She became a magistrate and lived a reclusive life so that she didn't have to put up with fools. And uh, I agreed with her so much is the problem. You know, I really agreed with anything critical she would have to say. And that's still the problem. I really think everything she said was really pretty on the mark. So I would hope that she would find this book funny and maybe a bit heartbreaking. Maudlin for sure. She definitely, oh, Selma, don't be so maudlin. But I learned it from watching her. I mean, it's really the pot calling the kettle black. And, um, but I think she would be proud. I think my mother always worried about me. I think she really worried like I would be burned at the stake. It was one of my earliest memories of her fear of like proclaiming I was a witch. And she was so worried and that she was a witch. And not that we ever had, you know, cast spells or thing. It was just, I think, a way of imbuing her with a certain power and fear and, and trying to give that to me so that I would feel I had some power I didn't really know I had. You know, it's not that we were active witches, no Wiccan. I mean, there was nothing I knew about witchcraft or anything, but it's it always kind of stuck. People always thought I was weird. Um, I mean, I was quite popular and in some ways had an easy life, but but on the other hand, no, there was always that thing. People would meet me and they'd say, oh, you're Selma. Oh, I've heard you're crazy. So I think she'd be proud that I'm here right now. She'd definitely like you. She'd love Sarah and she worshipped Reese. Mm. But she was tough. I mean, she was tough on you. She said things to you that you write about in the book that that were hard to read because... <laughs> like what? I wonder. Well, I... just she was very judgmental of you. But at the same time, I think that that is character building. But I think there's a perception in today's culture that to say something like that to your child could you know, instill in them a, a, a lesser sense of self that they would move through the world with. But at the same time, I think that, that there's power in that, yes. right? I mean, the judgment people would say is definitely off, which is funny because she was a judge. And I think dealing with intimate matters, her judgment might have been a bit traumatized and, and dealt with it with a harsh hand. I think she had to be in such control because she was so in fear of being out of control. Um, and then being judged for it or slandered or something, you know, that behavior would then be indicative of a, an ability to take you down. My mother would say, in life, there is always someone waiting to take you down a peg, Selma. Listen to me. Do not. And then she said, do not ever talk about religion or politics. Well, fuck, we're fucked in this world now because that's all people like just hate on. You can't even find any common ground, even if there were one. And I think this whole world would be so overwhelming. She'd wish she were dead. So she's happy. She's dead. She's dead. I hope so. We buried her. Yeah. Bonk, bonk. I love my mom so much. I can't believe she's dead. Um, yeah, she was she was tough. She was mean. Yeah, she was like could be a mean bitch. 
It's okay. She's. <laughs> I'm sure the spirit world doesn't think that this is anything. But I have to say, like as a gay man, I'm attracted to a mean bitch. That's like my favorite well, archetype of is, a character. They're the only people that I think are re- telling the truth. Yeah. Now. And so into your face, I don't like someone that pretends to be on your side and then will start, you know, compromising you to other people. I think that's evil, evil, evil. And my mother never did do that. She only spoke um, glowingly behind my back. It was only to my face that she was a bit brutal because I think she did want to prepare me, and I think maybe she believed it. Or she was looking for a compliment because I think she did like my full lips and she even liked the hair above it. Hmm. <laughs> but as you write, like when you did receive that compliment from her, it, it meant, meant so much. much. It did. It, um, a compliment from my mother was such a joyous experience. I mean, she really did talk too much and talk to people on the street and things like I do. And, you know, she saw a little girl all all turned out beautifully. I mean, she said, oh, that mother loves her child. I mean, we have no idea what was going on, but if a child was presented well and the mother spent money on the child, that was her love language, Mm. you know, that that person was valued and respected and wanted to put their best foot forward. So you love a hotel. Oh, I love a hotel. I need to be really, really wealthy. I too love a hotel. What's your favorite? Well, it's funny. You mentioned Shatters on the Beach in the book. I just stayed Mm -hmm. there a few weeks ago uh, when I was out for the Dior show. And I, that was my first time staying there. And I really fell in love with it. Uh, Le Petit Armitage in West Hollywood. Yeah, how is that? You know, I went to a wedding shower. Victoria Beckham had a wedding, her baby shower for Harper at there. You know, Ava Longoria put it up. I was, I was there. Um, And... And I, I have never been there since, so I was wondering, is it charming? It's like very really close to me. Very, I mean, quite expensive, but you'll have that. I like the Carlisle quite a bit. One thing that uh, Jennifer Coolidge instilled in me when she was on the podcast was my tendency in the past would go to like the newest, latest, greatest hotel, like the just opened yeah, one. no way. And now mm-hmm. with Jennifer, especially, you know, going to places like Shutters on the Beach, the older the better. Oh, absolutely. I want like a legacy hotel where nothing has been redone or remodeled. I like mold. I like old fix. <laughs> I know, I'm a chateau girl. You there know, you go. Well, they certainly haven't redone that in a while. No, <laughs> no, but I find it special. You know, I don't see the need for tearing everything out and making it, you know, mass consumerism. I think it's, I mean, of course, if there are a health problem, please take care of that. But uh, I love the tried and true. I love something with history. Everything is so easy to just move on to the next now. And I find it really charming to be able to, and you know, you're as, as an older girl, well, anyone over 27 is older now. And I just... Just turned 28. Happy birthday! No, just <laughs> but it was um yeah, I, I find it important. You know, they value the guest a little more when they know they're already established yes. and they have a loyal staff and people are happy. You know, so that's that's important to me. You said something on The View during your recent appearance that I found really poignant when you said uh, if you're lucky enough, because you were talking about your trip to Cancun and you were saying if you're lucky enough in this life to have like the great gift of celebrity or something that things are you're treated to these things and I don't hear a lot of famous people talk about that and it's true oh I mean I wish I was treated to more I mean again (laughs) like I said I'm not under the age of 28 and that's kind of like that is marketing now these young beautiful boy girl transgender everything it's really young always you know that's always beauty Uh, youth is beauty and so that does get a lot of attention but um I would like more freebies. I would like when I go into a restaurant for more people to be happy to see me and give me that table. I don't begrudge any of that because 
Because that's great, and I'd love great things. Okay, listen. <laughs> next time you see something that you want in that vein, I'm of the mindset of ask Look, and you shall I receive. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a lot because there is a lot of like detritus out there that it just doesn't serve me to be a part of blah, 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 because it's not not valuable to me. So, like, yeah, um, if I'm going to get a freebie, like, I will, I, like... I can't afford to go. I mean, I've been paying for expensive hotels for work and I want to go on a big vacation and there's no way I'm going to be able to do that and stay in the custom, you know, the manner in which I am accustomed so I won't go on the vacation. So, yeah, I wish there was such a thing as a free vacation. But the thing is, there's no such thing as a free lunch. I'd have to take Instagram pictures the whole time. And that means I'd have to, like, put makeup on or, God forbid, like, use a filter that makes me then look like Kaya Gerber and so the jigs up I'm like a fraud you know because I would I'm like I look gorgeous who cares if it looks nothing like me so I have to be careful not to do those things and then if free lunch isn't free fair enough I mean nothing in life is free right Right, but it would yeah right some things are worth it though like I'd, I'd be very willing to yeah it depends to on the offer toil for that free yeah, thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it depends on the lunch I want to bring our first oh, no. of several of your friends into the conversation Hi, Selma. It's Jamie Lynn, your friend. I love you so much. Um, first, I just want to say that you do so much for so many people. You selflessly share so much of yourself. You help me so much. And so many people like us and just everyone in the world that actually what I would like to ask you is, you know, I'm a little bit woo-woo. So I believe that you can call anything into your life um, when you have your heart behind it and you have people behind it like all of us that are listening and love you that will be supporting you so what would you like to call into your life is it work is it peace i just think you deserve everything in the world and i would love to know what would selma love to have happen to her next oh jamie lynn i love her so much she happens to be one of the most gorgeous people in the world and i'm so so like my heart is so full knowing that people are seeing Jamie Lynn work again and like we missed her so much and I'm so so thrilled her life is working out so beautifully and she's so wise and that she's in my life first of all but I you know I never think of what I'd like to call in because I'm so afraid of being selfish like I'm I'm strange I'm like the person with a superiority superiority complex with low self-esteem and so like I'm afraid if I bring something in or ask it'll be like I wouldn't even know what to ask it's like bring bring into my life like knowing we're gonna be okay somehow all of us like knowing we're gonna be okay I'd like to bring that I worry I worry for me I worry about the meanies out there. I call myself a mean baby or I was, but there's some real meanies out there. And I do wish the Jamie Lynn's and the Sarah's and you and I mean, my God, I'd be thrilled to have, you know, re like politicians that really want to take responsibility for where our country and our world ends up. Um, not naming any names or blame game. Just I wish there would be real support for all of us and we could feel more comfortable moving forward because I'm scared. I'm scared like a lot of people and and I don't want to harbor like I don't want to harp on that because because that doesn't really make anyone feel good but I really do want good things for us all of us. I want to bring that into my life that I think that I would feel that there is some safety. Mm -hmm. Well, you are one hell of a powerful being, so I feel like even you putting it out into the world, you will bring it about for us, for us, the collective. I want us to be able to feel a warm night and look out in the evening and relax and be able to say, mm. 
I'm great mm. this this evening. I hope people that have had tremendous tragedies, that people that have to still persevere, that look at the obituaries like daily to see if they're dead and realize they're not and have to carry on. All those people I wished I wish for a deep comfort, a mm. deep soul comfort and um and then when they're ready to give it back to me. Fantastic. Thank you. You write in the book about auditioning for the role of Joey on Dawson's Creek, a role that ultimately went to the great Katie Holmes. When we chatted for my Buffy book, you talked about auditioning for the role of Buffy. Are there other roles that you were up for that you really, really wanted and for whatever reason, it went to somebody else? It was Requiem for a Dream. Um, I wanted so much. It was one of the first, Darren Aronofsky, that script was so brilliant, so dark, so true to people's, the way we're wired, especially when you are in dark and desperate situations and life isn't moving and the drugs and the, the way he presented it, it was, it was really haunting and beautiful and it was before a stage of when kind of there's more dark things being explored. It was the first of its kind and I had a wild crush on Jared Leto. I knew he'd be in it and um and I and I went in a few times and I was close to it, but you know they met Jennifer Connelly and that you know it was done and Darren Aronofsky and I, and I and I loved the movie with her and I am a humongous Jennifer Connelly fan, and I do believe he made the right decision, but he did write me a letter saying and I have it in my scrapbook saying you know I I promise you know I would good thing you know I said I'd give an arm and a leg to be in this movie and he wrote me back saying good thing you don't have to give up your arm or your leg you know this we found this but you you're special yeah, I don't think he said special but you know I I'll keep you in mind for the next one like fucking crickets cricket Crick, Darren. Uh, so, no, but um, and I and I love his work. It's it's always so memorable. You mentioned your crush on Jared Leto, and I feel like in today's world we're exposed to like the Morbius version of Jared Leto, but there is the Jordan Catalano version of Jared Leto from way back when. I'm wondering if you had any, and you've worked with a lot of hotties. Let me tell you, I'm wondering if you had any other crushes. Obviously, you talk at length in the book about your crush on Jason Schwartzman and your eventual relationship. Any other, just you know, not 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 things that necessarily turned into something, but just guys you thought were cute. Gosh. No. <laughs> Not a single one. Matt Bomer. Yeah, hot. Um, Ryan O'Connell. Like what I like seriously such a crush. I'm and I always ask every like, is he still gay? Um he's gay, right? He's gay. But I have to say, you know, Jared from my so-called life was it. And Claire Danes, really truly my closest heart, soul friend, and I've never talked to anyone about how much I thought Jared was gorgeous and how much I wished he'd fall in love with me. And then we worked together, and when I had to like go in for a kiss, I was like, I, I can't, I can't believe it. And I'm, I'm, I could never see the movie because I'm just so embarrassed how much I just couldn't, couldn't contain myself at how gorgeous he was. But no, he's like, wow, he's a complicated, gorgeous fellow. Complicated, <laughs> uh, but amazing, I guess. I mean, he's a lot. He's, he's like a lot. A I, I tried posting a picture of him recently from uh, one of his red carpet appearances and was met with a cavalcade of comments that led me to believe that he's not someone that I uh, can put on my yeah, feet I'm at not, present. I'm not going to just like <laughs> no, randomly I, talk about that powerhouse of creativity because I have no <laughs> idea what's happening. But my God, he was gorgeous. And when I got that, I was like, I cannot believe I'm going to be in a film. With him, it's really pathetic. Like I'm such a fangirl that it was hard with those like instances of extreme beauty. Extreme, extreme beauty. Extreme beauty. 
let's talk a little bit more about Karl Lagerfeld. Um, you are the second guest I've had on this podcast who knew Karl Lagerfeld. And many of us, not many of us, all of us, I'd like to say, know who Karl Lagerfeld is as a fashion icon. But you have the unique experience of knowing who he is as a human being. Yeah. And I'm wondering just like what some of your best memories are with Karl, who really did not take a liking to many in this life and took a great liking to you. I, he thought I was like a golden retriever, is how he described me to a friend we have in common. <laughs> she's so, she's, she's an affectionate dog, no? Um, <laughs> but he did, I, he did have much affection for me. And I remember walking around Paris with him and he'd just take pictures of me and how, how gracious he truly was forever to everyone. I know he was very opinionated and came in a time where he absolutely had, you know, had built the right to have any opinion. They're just opinions, but he was amusing and incredible. And the thing that I don't think people know, but of course it's, it's obvious is that he was not sentimental. He did not hold on to things of the past. He remained so au courant that no one, really kept up on youth and changing culture like he did. He always kept up. And and I think he was very private. I don't really dare to say I knew Carl, uh, the man. But I did spend time with him and loved him and fawned over him and would call his cell phone and be like, what's up? And he just, Selma, very funny. You know, and hang up. And I was good. He reminded me of my mother. He did. He reminded me of my mother. I was very at home, and I think I took way too much license in sitting on his lap. If it was my friend's birthday, I'd call and be like, Carl, hey, get on the phone with Frankie Rader. It's her birthday. She was in your show. And he had, like, force a cell phone in his hand. Like, I, I would like to think I wouldn't do that now in hindsight, realizing how much I adored, admired, and should uh, mind my P's and Q's with my iconic elders, but um, I couldn't help it. I just can't help it. Should, shouldn't. It's like... I know. I got the loving. But also, like, I kissed Anna Wintour so many times on the actual cheek. I'm plotting. I am so cringing at my former self. Um, and I would do it again. Just I don't get out and I'm not invited to the Met anymore. So I won't have an opportunity to do it again. Thank God. Holy cow, the stress I've created in my life. And I was not drunk when I kissed her. And I was not drunk when I sat on Carl's lap and called friends for him to wish happy birthday. I... I wish I were more beautiful so that I would be celebrated in those nutty ways. But instead, it's a, yeah, I'm a cringe factory. But I also love it because I don't have a lot of regrets. It's like, oh, I'll never say I wish I had kissed Anna Wintour because I still idolize her. I do. I think she's remarkable to have that much, like, self, uh, that much elegant self-control. Mm. Something I do not have at all. Two corrections we have to make to the record. Earlier, you said you want to be a writer. You are a Thank writer. Thank you. I'm and a writer. you just said you're not beautiful and you are beautiful. I am, but it's not the way people think of it. But I am. Thank you. I agree. I was fishing. What do you mean the way people think about it? Well, I would look to look, I would like to look like, you know, Jessica Alba. I watched her do a makeup tutorial <laughs> this morning on the car here. And I'm like, she didn't need any of that. She looks so amazing, but you got to sell a product. And she did look really great afterwards. But it's like, this is unfair. If I looked like these people, I would be out every day. Yeah. I, mean, I would be showing myself off. And um, 
Yes, I'm perfectly happy with the way I look. I really don't have any complaints. I would like a few more teeth again. But other than that, I would like, you know, those big cavities to have not been filled in so excessively when I was little. But other than that, I am actually very happy with my appearance. But I do not consider myself America's last great beauty as much as I try and tell people I am. But you were told you were America's last great beauty. Uh, I believe, was it Troy? Oh that my told God, you that? that's so funny. You know, Troy is my dearest, dearest. And by the way, he also like doesn't remember saying something in the book. And I could be all wrong. And then he's like, I don't know if I ever said that about you. And I was like, again, why tell me this? <laughs> Let me believe yeah. that. I'm like, did I make that up? Like, who, who said it? Someone did. And I think he was like my only friend. So I assumed it was Troy. Or he was being facetious. And then fuck off. But no, I, I mean, I will remember it. And I remember eating at Dantana's and Craig, uh, who worked there, who now has Craig's the restaurant, he used to call me the face. Mm. And I felt very Lauren Bacall. I used to go in and he'd say, oh, the face, here's your table. And I felt very beautiful at Dantana's on those evenings. Before we get into more, let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsor. Can we talk about Sunday Riley? Not only is it the name of not one, but two of my favorite Buffy the Vampire Slayer characters, it also just so happens to be one of my favorite skincare brands. Sunday Riley uses advanced, clinically proven ingredients blended with balancing botanicals for non-irritating, fast-acting formulas. Just because the end of times might be near doesn't mean you can't have great skin. Some of my current obsessions include their global best-selling Good Genes All-in-One Lactic Acid Treatment, CEO 15% Vitamin C Brightening Serum, and their Autocorrect Brightening and Depuffing Eye Contour Cream. As a person with notoriously puffy eyes, the last one is a really saving grace. If you want to visibly improve the look and feel of your skin, look no further than Sunday Riley. Sunday Riley is available at Sephora and Sephora.com. And we're back. Where is the Lagerfeld wedding dress at present? It is in my guest room closet downstairs in a garment bag, both. And I checked them recently in case I was going to wear them. And they are, in fact, clean and ready to be worn. That is true story. Any plans and the to shoes. put it back on? I mean, if I ever, I mean, if the world, yes, if the world still exists when I ever have to get dressed up again, if I'm not wearing Tom Brown, which is really what I fancy now, because I just feel very put together. I feel, you know, it's, it's, it's very, I I just feel it's, it's perfect for me. I can't say how comfortable I am wearing this and also feel like very, very cool and happy. This is always what I was looking for. Gowns are a little trickier for me always. Mm. Um, Oh, I'll wear it. I'll wear it around the house and take pictures. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure this out. I feel like you're three great pop culture relics in your possession. There might be more. From my, from my end of things, is obviously the Karl Lagerfeld wedding dresses, mm-hmm. the Britney Spears wig, mm-hmm. and then the Carrie Fisher. Is it a crystal or a rock? <gasps> yes, it is a crystal. It's a crystal. It's a crystal that I found. That maybe is Carrie. In I some think I know. Way? I know this is gonna sound too lunatic for anyone listening, but I'll go there. If not me, who? If not now, when? The, (laughs) I was so despondent when Carrie died and also despondent that I was not Hollywood A-list to go to her memorial because no one would ever think of inviting me because the only one that would would be Carrie herself. And now she was in a Prozac container with many mourners. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get in. And the only thing would be to, to cry (laughs) among supporters of other people that love Carrie and hear the stories and all that. And so I was talking to Carrie the night before her memorial, which I didn't go to, and said, God, I gotta, I hope I find out where you're, where you're going to be buried so I can put like a heart-shaped crystal rock. You know, us Jews, we, you put a rock on the top of the, the headstone. And 
And in my, in her voice, I heard her say like, oh, come on, I don't, I don't want that shit, you know, and I don't need this. I don't want to be. I'm done. I'm done. Thank you. And then I kept saying, I don't know. I got to find you a heart-shaped crystal. What are And a real one, you know, not something you'd buy in a gift store. And then I went to read her book. I put it away. It made me sad. And two days later, when I went to go fetch the book, there was honestly and truly a heart-shaped crystal that had such a glint of sunlight coming through it. It really had such its own life. And when I held it, I felt that moment that I wished to call into my life again, that everything was going to be okay. That I And I said, oh my God, it's you, Carrie. This is you. Like, this is magic. I've never experienced a connection like that or something that happened that I couldn't explain at all. There was right. no one in my house. My son was young. I didn't, there's no way it could have come from anywhere. <sighs> Carrie paved the way for me personally. That was a huge gift of Carrie. I was not a huge Star Wars fan, although I'm like thrilled with her contribution in that film and that she's there and she's Princess Leia. It's perfect. But I loved her. I loved the way she navigated the world. And even though she had a dickens of a time inside her brain and body, she persevered with such humor and... And I just the the ways that she brought out uh, an ability for people to be able to speak about their own mental challenges or stigmas was the biggest comfort mm -hmm. that she could have done. She was all I mean, she was an amazing human being for that. And I do feel that she is in me now. I mean, also, my pants feel tighter someday. So I'm sure she's in me. I'm carrying both of us. But <laughs> no, she's I do feel I do feel she's with me. I do feel the spirit spirit of Carrie is something. I was very drawn to. I had a similar spirit. And I am so proud to carry some of some of her natural affinity for vulnerability and speaking her mind with sometimes big humor that people can't get and and also with a heartbreaking clarity of what's important to her. She was a very reliable person. She mm. was an incredible writer and um, personality. I just love that your wedding was held on her property and Carrie missed the wedding because she was at the salon getting her hair done. Is there anything more Carrie Fisher that could it be done? It is so perfect and it's something I would do now. I mean, I'm sure she was at the salon getting her hair done for a wedding that she forgot probably whose wedding it was. Right. Like, I mean, everything was so perfect and then she was trying to like, oh God, do I just lie and say I was there to her? But like, I knew she had just walked in. No, of course not. It was perfect. Like, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love knowing... That she's like, oh, my God, what's going on out here? Right. That's why I got my hair done. Right. Oh, God, crap. You know, and then she put the Leah hair on and James Blunt was sitting there that I didn't even, you know, he hadn't yet had his album come out. She was the patron saints of all the people kind of creating stuff and had this house there with a big cutout of, you know, Princess Leia. out. And I have a huge cutout of Buffy. I do. Sarah Michelle Gellar is in my house. Oh, she I've seen it leave. before. Yeah, you've yeah. posted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel she's always with me. But, you know, we're... I, there's just so much that when people doubt if the people you love or that meant something to you are gone from this earth, I really do hope people don't doubt that they can be with you. Yeah. And I do feel that. And I just feel it in her spirit that yeah. she gives that she gives me that to continue to be open. And once I know something, I I have to speak up. I mean, not to my detriment. I don't have the biggest energy to like haul causes, but I do try and I am very alarmed at people's incapacity to be empathetic, even mm -hmm. through everything we've been through, not necessarily towards me, just 
the world of things. Can I ask you to recall mm. one story that's mentioned briefly in the book? You were over at Carrie's property. Obviously, her great, fabulous mother, Debbie Reynolds, lived on the property. And one night, you write about that that <laughs> Debbie, or excuse me, Carrie had the idea to go and surprise Debbie or scare her or something. What happened? Well, we TP like a little like area outside Debbie's house and like knock on the window and scare her and ding dong ditch or like. And she'd come out. Oh my God! She, you stop it! Just look. <laughs> Is that you, Carrie? Carrie, come in here. And then I'd pretend to be Carrie and I'd be like, mother, I'm dead, haunting you. Like just horrible things. Oh my God, my mother would have killed me. And then Amit, um, st- like r- I, the guy I was marrying at Carrie's house, we were over there one time like talking about the wedding and he's over and then he sits down at the piano and starts thumping like some r- like you know, rock opera. And Debbie was under the piano. We didn't know this grand piano, like cleaning something. And he had sat down and like scared the, like, it was just horrible that the, like the, you know, the keys in her ear. And so she never liked me. So I was always the bad seed. Like Debbie Reynolds did not appreciate my friend. (laughs) She thought I was a bad influence on Carrie. It was all Carrie's idea to, to bedevil her mother. (laughs) She loved her mother very much, but we did have a good time. Ding dong ditch. We're going to talk about your acting work a little bit now. I wanted to bring in one of your former co-stars and on-screen mothers. Hi, Selma. It's Molly Shannon, your TV mom. Anyhow, congratulations on your book. And as um, a fellow memoirist, my question for you is, is there anything in your book that you didn't put in that you wish you had put in? And then my second question is, because you're such a hilarious storyteller and so funny and so good with words, do you have a, do you have a specific word that you love? Like, um, for example, I like to say rascal. Or do you have an expression that you love? What's your favorite expression or a favorite word? <gasps> oh, God, this is like someone asking what your favorite movie is, and you're like, oh, every word. And I love Molly Shannon. Do you know I would? Okay. I would have liked to have written about some stories of how Mikey Day and I accidentally every day just tortured Molly in the makeup trailer. We didn't know that we were torturous people. We were loud and played music and told jokes. You know, I had kind of like a crush on Mikey and we did wind up together. And I didn't talk about that. And I should have claimed that because he's so amazing. And we really, you know, he wound up marrying after we broke up, he like immediately saw someone fell in love and like, they're so beautifully married and whatever. And I, I don't follow it all, but he was always a wonderful supportive guy, but it was his first big show. And I had a big part in how, having him get that. I mean, just so funny. And he'd always, he had a Honda when he first started and I had a crush on him. He's so funny. And he'd always walk me to his old Honda and he'd say, lady, your chariot waits. And he was just so funny and I laughed so loud and Molly she was trying to learn her lines and put her fake nails on and now I know now I know what it's like once you have kids I didn't have kids yet I didn't know that that trailer time is important quiet time and I have some amends to make to Miss Molly Shannon for this I get no idea like I was just such a kid in a way but um no I was a horrible person and Molly Shannon is wonderful and funny and her memoir broke my heart I've known some of Molly's history and she's just the most like 
she's just truly the best storyteller. I wish I had more confidence in some of my humorous stories, but I always feel like, oh, no one wants me to mention them. Oh, Mikey Day doesn't want to be associated with me. He's mar- like, I really feel that. Like, oh, you don't want to bring it up. It's like, no, there's so many funny things I witnessed. And I did really funny paparazzi videos before it was all read, you know, with Mikey Day that people should look up at on YouTube. Um, they're very funny. But no, I my favorite word, what's your favorite word? Mm. I'd have to think about it. Nothing comes to mind. I mean, nothing like, comes um, to mind. I say oceans. I think oceans covers a lot. Like I, oh I yeah, say oceans it, of love for Arthur. Yeah, oceans yes. of love for yes, Arthur. Yes. And I find when I just don't know how to express myself, oceans yeah. always suffices to someone I love, and it can represent almost anything. I really like shook as a word. Shook. Yeah, just I've been I'm, saying that I'm all constantly day. feeling it, and so I do like shook. That is shook. a word that, that comes to mind right. for me. Um, I do want to say, though, I, there were a lot of parallels in my reading experience of your book and Molly's because my takeaway from both of these books, and particularly evident in your letter to Arthur at the end, is it's about living life. You get one shot. It's something that both of you say in both of your books. And so yep. I, I think these are great tandem reads and the remarkable relationship that you had with your mother mm-hmm. and that Molly had with her father. Yes, they do really go well together. <laughs> they do, they do. So buy them today. Yes. Well, you mentioned paparazzi and I love the anecdote in the book that you share about Kirsten Dunst. Actually, one of my favorite quotes from the book, which I think is so wonderful, is you say, quote, in a crowded room, I also tend to keep an eye out for Kirsten Dunst, which let me just tell you, I too, when in a crowded room, have my eye out for Kirsten Dunst. You write about the fact that she kind of didn't know about paparazzi until you that you were you were together one day and you pointed it out to her and it seems like up until that moment she didn't have her eyes in the bushes like she wasn't looking for it. Truly, and I, you know, I've always I'm I was an outsider in this business, not in a horrible way, like oh I was treated horribly. I was treated I was it was lovely. My my experiences were all very good, but I um, Kirsten since she was little was was busy working or trying to be a kid on her off times and all these things. And and she didn't maybe notice the things I noticed, but paparazzi was huge when I came to L.A. and I was nobody and they always followed me, I guess because they could follow me because I wasn't actually like working that much. I was out and about on Sunset Boulevard, you know, going to Tracy Ross and things that, you know, paparazzi just get you. So I was very tuned into it, knowing they were always kind of someone was there. And Kirsten, really, she was busy working. I don't think she took that much off time in the day to notice that, truly. And I said to her, because I remember being very self-conscious of paparazzi, just even the one going, I was afraid I'd pick my nose or do things that it's like, that could really blow up then or upskirt. Like, I hated that. I was afraid. And I said, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you keep yourself so like work oriented and, and not get these horrible pictures? And she's like, oh, yeah, no, that's not a thing for me. Like, who is paparazzi following them? I'm like, there, there's one right there. Like, he's taking a picture behind the tree. She's like, oh, how weird. Let's go home. And we walk back to my house. And that picture is actually, I could Google that picture. Mm. Some will be Kirsten Dunst stroll or something. And I'm walking my dog. And I remember it was after like a show at Phantom Planet the night before where we had fun and said, we'll meet for breakfast and talked about that. And then I swear, I wonder if she thinks I called the paparazzi. Actually, like I'm so <laughs> afraid because there's a picture and like, yay, I have a picture with Kirsten on my off time. But like, cause I just love her. And I was like, yay, cool by association with this amazing girl. I want to touch down on Cruel Intentions. Before I ask about your role in Cruel Intentions, are you aware of how formative the Ryan Felipe, is it Philippi or Felipe? I have no idea. Me neither. I had asked him to call in today and it was he, his oh, son he didn't Deacon. Want uh-huh, uh-huh. No, 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 no. It was Deacon's graduation yesterday. Oh, I thought so. you were going to say birthday, but it's not because his birthday is nine 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 nine. I remember that. 
There you go. No, son's graduation yesterday, so he was not able to call in. But are oh, you aware you, of how formative Ryan's butt in that movie is to a generation of gay men? Yes. I mean, I don't know anyone that wasn't just in love with Sebastian Ryan um, from that really sexy, naughty movie. And um, no, but I because I am such a Reese lover from the beginning from Man on the Moon, that's like all I had eyes for. And like. Buffy, like Sarah, that I actually was working with Sarah. I was too gobsmacked to pay any attention to Ryan. So it's it's good to know that he really got his following also in check in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hot. I mean, we went to see those paintings, which are hysterical. His butt is such a snack. It really is. It really, <laughs> it really is. And it holds up beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about your iconic kiss with the great Sarah Michelle Gellar. I don't know. I guess I'm just scared. Of what? Duh, boys. Never even gone to first base with a guy. Haven't you ever practiced on one of your girlfriends? Ew, no. It's gross. Well, it's not gross. How else do you think girls learn? Okay, face me. Now, close your eyes and wet your lips. Are you for real? You want to learn or not? I guess. I'd like to know more about the filming of that scene. You write in the book that there was a lot of anticipation in the lead up to that scene just because there was an awareness that you were creating a moment that was going to be buzzy, but that was filmed in Central Park, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, can you paint for me the filming of that scene? I mean, it was right at Central Park, like kind of where like, you know, in the 70s, like right where you kind of enter for like Sheep's Meadows stuff, I mm. guess, what, you know, it's there. And we were we were coming to New York like the week before to do some shots of the exterior of the house that, you know, we had in New York shoot. We shot most of it back in LA. And um, on the plane, it was like, oh, right. She said, you know, we have to make out like, you know, like we haven't really talked about this. I'm like, I know. I hope my breath is OK and stuff like that was my bigger concern was kissing a friend um, who also like always smelled good. Like she's so pristinely clean. And I really was self-conscious. Like, will Sarah be grossed out? Um, I'd never kissed a girl. The experience was so sweet because her lips were so soft. I'd kiss pe- boys on film and they have some whiskers and you get a thing and you have to do it so many times. And you never feel anything because people are like watching. You're concerned about how you look, whatever. But with Sarah, I was so comfortable. And that spit take, like we've said, it was not planned. It happened. And I was so like, that's what I was afraid of. Like my spit would be like stringy and gr- like everything I was afraid of. But hey, guys, like. Guys and girls, the things we think we're afraid of turn out to be some pretty, like, um, inspiring moments. You never know. Like, let let your spot, sloppy spit fly and yes. hope Sarah Michelle Geller's mouth catches it. My God, she's hot. But it's so funny that she is, I cannot be around Sarah without going for a kiss. And she lets me. So, like, we can play it out every time we see each other. And, like, she'll be the one I spend my 50th birthday with. She is, like, the tried and truest friend. I cannot say enough about this woman. Well, I think we should bring her into the conversation (sighs) then. So, I just, you know, I think you knew it was going to happen. Well, Salma, I think the important question that everyone really wants to know is what makes Sarah Michelle Gellar so great? And if you feel like listing all of the things, all of the reasons, all of her attributes, take your time. The people really want to know. Oh my God, let me tell you something. The best thing about Sarah is 
her friends. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> oh, she knows how to pick her friends. They are all remarkable people. Sarah truly is for someone to grow up in this and to be as poised and as fair in life. Let's just say that truly, it's a major gift. And she has always been ahead of the curve of knowing how to nurture people, knowing how to be a mom, even when she was a 17-year-old girl. Her mother is also someone I love and share a lot. We share doctors. We see each other. I mean, she's really family to me. And she's an incredible mother. And we dress alike whenever we see each other by accident. And she is just a loyal, she is a loyal, decent person. In, in, in also, she's Buffy. And also, she's Sarah. And anything she touches is a gift. And this is in earnest. I love her so truly, and I am so proud. And whenever I'm stressed, I should have thought about her earlier. I was so stressed that I was like like tired or I would say something inappropriate, which I always do. I should always stick to Sarah because Sarah, Jamie Lynn, my friends, like they really, they're the good people. The good people. And, and, and I should let that always overwhelm me when I get um, involved with people who aren't as kind we should all think of the Sarahs of the world. I call her Scara because it just sounds good and, you know, but but she laughs and she's, yeah, she's just a generous, lovely friend. And you know this well, but she shows up. She shows up like nobody. I mean, there's no way she wants to go away with me somewhere for my 50th birthday, <laughs> but she is acting like she does. And she's, you know, and she knows how important it is to celebrate some milestones in life. I mean, our life, as we know. The life as we knew it is gone and life this is the best our life's gonna get right, right. now and right. it's all undecided in the future and sarah knows what's important and mm. she has always held it close agreed in a 2021 oral history of legally blonde done for the new york times actress jessica caulfield shared that in an early draft of the film the ending was l and vivian <laughs> in hawaii in beach chairs drinking margaritas and holding hands with the insinuation that they were either best friends or that they had gotten together romantically were you aware of this? <laughs> no, I love that idea. What fun. But I don't know. I'm sure she was talking a bit like, you know, she's a kid at home. I'm sure she was like just like having fun with this. Or maybe there was. There was an ending, you know, that um, Vivian was blonde. And I did. I have that. I have the Polaroids. And I look gorgeous. I look just like Faye Dunaway in these Polaroids and Bonnie and Clyde. It was gorgeous. It was like the beret was on in the blonde. Um, but no, that ending just wasn't as strong as, you know, what it turned into. So that that was scrapped. I don't remember that. Maybe it was, but I don't think so. I'm friends with, you know, Karen and Kiwi that wrote it. And, and it wasn't, but I would have loved that. Um, so much let's go with that let's go with that. that story i think it's so much fun but no i don't i don't think so did you get to interact with jennifer coolidge on set at all yes oh my god i die i die how is someone so perfect perfect i mean i am so glad that she is again and again having these huge moments because again nothing is as funny as jennifer coolidge just talking nothing there's or captivating. No, I mean, it's captivating she's really truly sincerely so unbelievably brilliant I love her. Well, I'm hopeful for Legally Blonde 3, which we know is happening. We don't have a timeline just yet, but we know it is happening. I know. I hope I get to at least make a cameo that I'm, I'm there. Hopeful. I mean, I'm I'm hoping, hoping that that legacy can continue because that was, talk about the good things in life. That movie is one of the good things in life. It's a highlight. Like, I really feel like, yeah, my, my obit's going to look okay. It will. Thanks. It will. 
can't get enough of Shut Up Evan? I don't blame you. That's why you have to check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Shut Up Evan, where you will be able to find advanced access to interviews, bonus episodes, video clips from the interviews, cut for time questions, and so much more. You don't want to miss out. I am fully committing to making the Patreon a much more robust experience for season three. So again, www do people say yeah www.patreon.com forward slash shut up evan in the book you write in detail about your experience on a june 2016 flight from cancun just oh my god fuck you shut up evan <laughs> god <laughs> For people that don't know, you were given an Ambien for the first time, and in conjunction with alcohol, it created a situation in which you had to be removed from the flight. You wake up in the hospital, and the story is all over the news. It's being rehashed at nauseum, so I don't think we need to discuss the <laughs> how or why, but I bring it up because you write in the book that, quote, there is something unexpectedly freeing about public humiliation of this magnitude. Mm -hmm. And I love that perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not asking you to right. rehash the event, but rather the perspective. Right. Um, <clears throat> and then you can tell me to when shut up. you realize that you have done something you are afraid would happen to anyone you love. <laughs> and now that person is you who you clearly don't have a relationship of loving very much because, you, you know, some issues like whatever the experience is in life. And that was a really huge moment. I have my son and I love my son and I made him partly, and oh, have the responsibility that I love of raising him. And when you fuck up so monumentally, even if it's a justifiable fuck up in your mind um, some way, never just, I mean, whatever, you know, even though you're like, oh, I'm not trying to party and be dangerous. I was going through some really, really hard things, and it was never a party moment, ever. Um, but I did. I, I, I say this, one, because not a lot of great things ever come out of mixing a pill with alcohol. So let's just get that straight for people in general. And to there was something I don't know how I could it was my mom's biggest fear for me that something would happen publicly in general. This wasn't a habit of mine that happened. It was a really bad one off. I was very sick and and had really had too much to drink um back in Mexico and, and was sick. And so when I came to and realized that my life was totally out of control, out of my hands, that I had, in fact, done something very humiliating, and I didn't immediately melt and die, and I didn't at all think, oh, my God, I got to go for a drink. I mean, my first thought was, I will never drink again, thank God for this miracle, and that was removed from me. And I'm not cocky. I mean, staying sober is a real thing, and don't ever get cocky because in your low moment, you never know when you're still going to go for that. So you got to still, I have a sponsor. I still do things even though my life is not such an AA life, but drinking is something that will never happen to me again. And that was huge, and I knew if I continued from that moment on to keep the side of my street clean, if I was not muddling my head with alcohol and my judgment, then I knew this was a tremendous opportunity to break cycles, to break confusion, and I stuck with it. I have not strayed from from taking accountability when I do things or when I impact someone or when I say something careless, because I do. I do things that aren't great, and I, and I absolutely, and this was, okay, I'm not dead. Like Other people have been in this boat, and I know, and they've killed themselves. And I was like, you have a kid. Like, you cannot have any more luxury of self, you know, sabotage. Get, you know, and, and, and my assistant and dear friend, most importantly, um, 
was shocked. You know, people didn't see me like this because I didn't do this before publicly. I was a, I was a drinker since I was little, and and I started to have compassion for myself, not to give myself a free pass, but to help me exist and find something that would be helpful for me and others, and at least my son. Mm-hmm. So I do take seriously apologizing for things that publicly disturbed people or contributed to an image that I might not be safe or that crazy mom thing that goes around. And still, any woman, if you do something um, that's off color, kilter in someone else's mind, it always goes towards that woman's crazy, unstable. You never hear man unstable or whatever. And I admit I did something, but to hear so relentlessly or to go on social media and hear that from people through the years about me, How are you helping people? How are you helping? I'm a mother and I represent other people. I can take it. But I know this is a real thing that people are shamed to the point of of shutting up forever. Yeah. I also want to express gratitude in you, including it in the book, knowing that a great amount of the press tour surrounding this book Mm -hmm. is going to be doing what just happened, being confronted Mm -hmm. with these things. I mean, I watched your segment on The View and you made a joke of it, but they bring up some really dark topics at 11 a.m. in the morning that you include in your book. I know, it's hard because I think of myself as so kind of, yes, I definitely do have some impulse control, not in any dangerous way, but I definitely love to have a good time for a really miserable person. I really wish that life was at a resort with your you know trusted friends that you could say anything and meet people and love and not be afraid and you could be forgiven if you made a careless mistake and life goes on and we all know we want to be happy and responsible in this life um and that's not always the case um and and i'll and i'll fuck up invariably but the thought that um people will always go to this old trope of something like saying this person did this because they're an unstable crazy woman um Let's just get that out of people's vocabularies. That is the laziest, most kitchen sink appraisal of someone to take away their credibility. And um, no, I, I stand for other women to just say, and that is a woman thing. They don't do it about men. Do they? I mean, do they do it about gay men? Do people say that? Do you hear it? Is that your biggest fear? Because it's been my biggest fear my whole life. I think that there's separate conversations because I think gay men still exist in the world with male privilege. And so I think that women, yes, I think that gay men have it more difficult than straight men, but I think that women have it invariably harder than um, men of any sexual orientation. it 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 is a very concerning thing to see how much people really really still don't really like women that much or trust them or anything. I don't know. Yes. I find so many instances of it, and I, I really do hope that I find a way to be a stronger ally. A strange transition, but on the topic of another incredibly strong woman who's had difficulties in people's public perceptions of her, Britney Spears, uh, you two, as you share in the book, spent some time together in rehab. And I'm just wondering, you know, you mentioned earlier, you are still in possession of her wig. Mind you, this was after she'd shaved her head. I'm just wondering what your memories were of spending time with Britney. It sounds like you actually had an access to her on a very personal level that those surrounding her made great efforts to not allow. And because of rehab, because of the unique situation you found yourself in, you were able to actually get to know the human being and not the pop superstar. You know, a bit. Absolutely. But I mean, we didn't go on to have this huge friendship. Let me be clear. I'm not trying to ride on 
this huge, wonderful megastar. And it doesn't come thing. off that way. Right, I hope. But the thing was, you know, you, you don't realize the trespasses you make about someone. I did something kind of in a joking way and then in perspective was like, oh my God, I'm part of the problem um, in general. But I do remember, you know, I, I, uh, I was in there uh, for drinking. I've never been a pill taker, this, that, none of it. I could take a million. I'd never get hooked. I don't care. I don't like them. I never want to take them. But drinking, and so I was concerned. Like, I never knew she was an alcoholic, and she's there. She comes in, and it's like, what? what's your thing? You know, we're talking. And she's like, honestly, I, I don't know. And I honestly believed her, absolutely didn't know what she was doing there, nor did she. And that was the start of her being controlled. And I did know that. I did know she was being controlled. I did know what was happening, but yet I was in the same boat. I also had a father who was sabotaging me. I didn't feel my power, and who am I to ever call out Britney Spears? I don't know her family dynamic. But she was very clear in being, you know, very forthcoming um, in a small box. She didn't open up to me. I'm not, but, but we did talk, and it was very clear that she did have her wits about her and that she was a very traumatized person who had given birth and it had triggered something, all the trauma and family and work and what was being asked of her in this custody was pretty horrific and I was aware of that and I've watched her all these years with with great concern wondering do the agents does anyone is are they able to get in there and I remember on my birthday it came out that she told her truth and it was the biggest birthday gift she does not know me I don't know if she remembers I mean we were friends we had a necklace like the half heart she went and got that for me like she had a half a heart and I had a half a heart we I loved her she taught me dance moves. She was so in control. And all this to see what had happened to her, the biggest star. Everyone's like, no, well, there must be smoke where there's fire. She is. No, she is not. I don't care what you say. That woman is not insane. She has been affected by mass media, quick consumption, and not realizing she's a human. And I'm so thrilled she's getting married today. She's having her day again. She is healing. Mm. And, um, and I'm so grateful for it. So it's time that I let you go, but if you would indulge me really quickly, I have one last question, and I, I want to ask, did you read the audiobook for Mean Baby? Mean Baby. I, yes, I did read it, and I was emotional in it at times, and I did read a review, like not a review, like a reader review that's like, God, it's kind of distracting, and so I'm like, ooh, sorry, but um, I did, I, I, um... I did read it. It was it, it. It was an incredible experience. The only other book I'd really read before was Anne, Anne the Diary of Anne Frank. Right. Grammy. Grammy. Nominated. Yeah. Hello. Hello. I'm tone deaf, so people. I. I mean, I'm literally tone deaf when I sing. I'm not saying that you know to be offensive to people in the tone deaf community. But um, it's true. But I really am. And and so like to say Grammy nominated, it gets so exciting because people think something else. Like, are you a rock star? No. Yeah. Can I ask you to just read a part of this? I don't mm -hmm. want to tell you what part because oh I kind I'm of so want scared. you to choose. Oh God, this is um, brutal. Any part? I, should I just? Should I just? Okay, this is whatever the you end want of the book. It's a letter to Arthur. Um, you, you, you. I have oceans of love for you, my baby boy. My eyes don't just light up when you walk into room; they pool up when you leave that room in tatters. My. God, you have a way of making it all seem wrecked in the most gorgeous way I could ever imagine. And you always help me tidy. I would like to add a post note to that. He does. He really does. And I don't tell him enough. He always helps me tidy. He helps me tidy the feelings. He does. I mean, he doesn't give a rat's ass. He is not enmeshed with me at all. 
I've been in New York for a week. You know how many times he's called me? <laughs> yeah, we're waiting. I've sent him like a text that was like, I wonder, I hope you are well. This is passive aggressive, this message. There will be no love sent. I hope you are well. Nothing. That didn't even get him to move his ass. He's happy. He's a happy kid. I cannot relate. Um, I always craved for love. He has plenty. And I'm thrilled for it. And his father's adorable. I'll probably make a pass when I get home. It embarrasses Arthur so much. I said, what would you do if your dad and I got back together? And one, his dad like probably plotses and runs out of the room. We're great as we are. But he's like, ew, no way. Like, then, <laughs> like I don't, I get double everything. You're both old people. Um, so here I'll read the last very thing. I will always be happiest by a fire. I will remember those I've loved with love. Bradley, Chip, Jason, 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 Amit, Ingrid. I will remember Carrie. I will years for my mother. It, what, what, what did I write there? Is that like a fucking error? I'm having a moment and I'm reading an error. Or this could no be a vision? galley copy. Oh, it might. No, I doubt it. Well, fuck me. Why don't you all go buy it so you can find the errors? That's what my mom would do. Oh, my God. In, like the greatest books. And she'd find an error and think that she really, really, really had one over on something. Okay. Um, I will tend to my wounds. You are asleep in your room now. Happy, safe. I tucked you in. I watched you fall asleep. I laid out your school clothes and turned off the light. Anchored. Mother. He doesn't give a shit. But I would have died for my mother to, re to write this for me. And I'm glad he doesn't give a shit. He might one day, of course. And he loves me dearly. This is not even meant as a criticism of my son. It's my greatest achievement. It is my greatest achievement that I did not enmesh my son in habits of misery or trauma, that he believes I am safe. He believes this dog will protect me. He <laughs> believes I can, you know, that I have things covered. And, and I do. I do. I can honestly say that I am taking care of my life. I'm taking care of my son, even if he doesn't know it or care yet. And I will take care of any of my friends with all my prayer and spirit and love. And I mean it. I mean it. And you are forever on my hit list of people I love. And I have to say that. And I am so glad we live in a day where no one really says shut up, Evan. And I am so glad we live in a day where Ryan O'Connell is my heartthrob. And I am so glad we live in a day that Rob Lowe still looks amazing from clean living and good thinking and sobriety. And that we live in a day where there are some people that will try to do the right thing, whether they are Republican or Democrat, that they really care about democracy and the way things pan out. And I pray that we all find groundwater somehow in California. Because <laughs> it's the only money I have in that house and in one week it'll be worth nothing but um and no there's so much to be grateful for and really this book is so personal and so maybe you'd have to read the whole thing to realize how big a deal it is for me to be able to say i love my son and to not mind knowing he might never read the book because he knows i love him fiercely he knows he knows he knows this audience will read the book People, are, people are reading the book. Thank you. And the picture on the cover is my favorite of me. I think I looked gorgeous. Who shot that? That was Peggy Sirota. This was shot. I only did one shoot with Peggy Sirota. And her Guess Who book is one of my favorites. 
have you ever seen it? It's mm-hmm. beautiful portraits, and it doesn't really show the face. It's like doing something, and you have to guess. And I was really skinny at the time, so we put me in a little Tupperware, and like just a little sprig of hair was out, like for her next book. But she never did the next book, or if she did, I'm not in it. But we did shoot that, and it was so incredible. And this picture is one of my favorites, and it was actually the day of the Legally Blonde premiere. Oh, wow. Later that day, I met Chris McMillan, who showed up after the shoot, and then he did my hair, and I was wearing the blue and white striped trust from Ralph Lauren that looked a bit like a tie. My mother said, not a bit. I looked like a tie, but it was good. She approved, and um, I love this book. I love the cover design. I love the necklace that my mother gave me when I was little that has a happy side and frown side, and I think of that, that gift my mother gave me that I carried all these years when I was six. And it was her, for someone who was so critical and did not appreciate me being maudlin in public, for her to give me a necklace that would at least acknowledge um, the variations in my mood or, you know, Mm -hmm. the mean baby could also be a smiling baby. And that it was that she knew that communication was important, even if she didn't always feel safe in it. That necklace gift was was her way of giving me permission to be happy and sad and the things you just don't see till you grow up really move me. And you very generously gifted me a, a version yes. of that necklace that I yes, you know, all inspired was so sweet a company I you know I love and they do great things for women and other people. And I, uh, yes, so they made um, they we they made um, a copy of the necklace like exactly and and they do have some for sale on their site. But the people that I love. And and appreciate I, I gifted when I when I gave the book so that we're like in the mean baby happy baby club. Well, thank you. Before I let you go, how'd this go? Are you happy? I am happy. I never know if I sound um, like I say bonkers. Um, but you feel good. I do. You know, I feel good because you make people feel good because you look at me and you make it seem like uh, whatever I comes out of my mouth on a, on a Thursday morning. It is Thursday, right? Yeah, I don't know. I'm catching a flight later, but uh, you know that that it's worthwhile, and and everyone that you have on is has done something so great. You really know how to pick lovely people, and I'm so happy to be included. You're worthwhile. <laughs> Thank you. And, you know, I wish people. You know, I read someone's book. Like uh, Jeffrey Tambor wrote a book years ago. Are you anyone? I think. And, and in the beginning, he talked about how important it was for people to say, like, we need an attaboy. You know, you need that person that's going to go attaboy. You know, as you're going along, plugging along, wrong or right. And I want to say to you, like, attaboy, you've done it. Like, look at you. You are doing it. Don't say done it because that's something. But you know, you're doing it, and and it gives me, you know. Uh, hope for good people and I hope your audience is good people and doesn't just think oh my god this woman rambled get a clue I look good I mean I have a Tom Brown shirt on I, I, I am dressed for the party shut up Evan Shut Up Evan is produced by me, Evan Ross Katz, with audio editing by Sophia Asmuth and social media by Griffin Dunn. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers for their financial support and thank you to you all, the listeners, for helping us keep the lights on. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.